accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine, making some real progress here. We're at the final episode, the season finale of the fifth season. It's called Call to Arms, aired on June 16th, 1997, written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf in his final episode before he leaves the show, directed by Alan Croker. In this episode, which again is the season finale, Cisco attempts to prevent more Dominion ships from entering the Alpha Quadrant by mining the wormhole. Gold Ducat responds by launching a massive assault fleet against the station. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm glad that we finally got to see some real character development and that Jake has become a blogger and he takes it very seriously. DS9 is um, answering all your questions. You had asked about what the news was like in Starfleet. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. We had our last episode where you wondered if there was a um, a B story that flipped and like, well, something minor was happening in the front while there was a disaster unfolding. And in this one, we learned that there is a news organization. Apparently, Starfleet has like its own state-run propaganda arm that uh, reports <laughs> on all the news. And Jake Sisko is a welcome reporter into its rank and file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's willing to, I feel like he takes his writing a lot more seriously than anybody around him, including his employers do. He's given up you know, on, he, well, go ahead. He, he, he just seems like that kind of person who, who it's like, if your son gets really into like YouTube videos and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't go to that funeral. I have to make sure my, I get my video out on time. It's like, <laughs> ah, but do you really though? Success is a uh, a narrow road. You have to stay on it. You can't you can't deviate whatsoever, or else you'll end up in the uh, the brush on the side of the road. I think Jake uh, gave up on uh, fiction writing, though. He's now just going to go mm. hard into journalism. So he's he's realized that the money uh, where the money lays, and he's going to go follow it all the way down. So we're done with uh, season five. This is it. We are going to take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to break down Call to Arms. When I first took command of this post. All I wanted was to be somewhere else, anywhere but here. But now, five years later, this has become my home, and you have become my family. And leaving the station, leaving you, is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But this war isn't over yet. I want you to know that while we were keeping the Dominion occupied, a Starfleet Klingon task force crossed the border into Cardassia and destroyed the Dominion shipyards on Taurus III. Your sacrifices, our sacrifices, made that victory possible. But no victory can make this moment any easier for me. And I promise I will not rest until I stand with you again. Here. In this place where I belong. All right, so Clay, this is the start of a seven-episode arc that is basically the show really jumping into a serialized story. Um, mm -hmm. All of the next seven episodes are connected, starting with this one. They basically continue one long story for the most of it. Uh, what'd you think of the season finale? I thought it was great. Uh, this was what I was kind of hoping 
I mean, not to this extent, obviously, but this is what I was hoping the, the episode before it was going to be, a little bit more uh, down and dirty, uh, you know, capital S, capital T, Star Trek, you know? Yeah, um, <laughs> with guns. But do you think that this one, did did this, because I, I, I was kind of curious about how, what he thought about in the cards, does, does this make in the cards make a little bit more sense to you? No. No, I mean, it's still... I mean, It's not that... that it's, I, I didn't find that the episode didn't make sense. Like, in, I understand in terms it. Of, it just... Yeah, in terms of it's like... In terms of what they were... Like, the slow build right. of it, I guess, is my, what, yeah. what I'm trying to get at. No, I just... I mean, I, I, I got it. I just didn't care for it. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, this one... Yeah, this one's obviously a little bit more upfront about what it's doing. Um, we start off with this sort of invasion. It has the... Uh, we sort of get a little bit of slice of life of everyone on the station. There's actually some kind of ramifications that come out of it and everything by the end of it. Um, what I really like about it is it's a very, um, in my opinion, like a modern storytelling thing where by the end of this, we're basically a dark mirror version of where the pilot for the show started up uh, mm-hmm. off with, where... In the pilot, Gold Ducat had been chased off and Liberator Jake, uh, Benjamin Sisko had appeared on the station. In this one, uh, Ducat the Conqueror has returned and taken the station while Sisko is on the run from everything. And Ducat is bringing the full force of the Dominion with him, where Sisko brought the full force of the Federation in the pilot to Bajor. Bajor is kind of the constant between it, but I, I think it's, it's a pretty modern twist uh, that like really upends where the series is at this point. Like the things, it, it's probably the most unique Star Trek uh, season ender that we've seen so far because you really yeah. get a sense that the stakes have changed, and not just the stakes, but like the the physical locality of everybody in the show. Like people mm-hmm. are not on the station anymore. The only people who remain are Odo, Kira, and Quark, and everyone else who's Starfleet has to abandon and sort of meet up with the fleet that we meet at the very end. But what'd you think of the uh, the broad strokes of this one, or if you want to go off of? Uh, the the fact that it ended up where the pilot was only backwards yeah it kind of i I think they've i I mean i don't know if this was by necessity but they've kind of reached that point where they finally have to leave the bar from cheers you know Mm -hmm. uh and i think this is the closest you can get to deep space nine like actually blowing up the ship and uh uh having it be a change that is is um not just something that reverts to the end of the at the end of the episode, right? Um, no, re- no reset button as Star Trek is willing or as frequently uh, pushes the reset button. Yeah, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the um, the character stuff was great. Uh, I was if this if this had been a modern show, I would have told you after the first five minutes that Rom was going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that they were leaning into that stuff, but I, I I like that they were leaning into it just for the sake of leaning into it. Um, That's actually I, my my big problem with the episode is that I think that they, I think there's just too much Rom and Lita in this, mm-hmm. and I don't know why they were chosen to be the focal points of the story. Where, you know, their story is pretty similar to Worf and Dax, but I care more about Worf and Dax. So Worf and Dax get this like twenty minute twenty second scene where they say goodbye after she accepts his marriage proposal mm-hmm. and i i would have rather had i would have rather they were the focus of it i think because that sacrifice means something more than i feel like rom and lita's does where lita just goes off to bejor and rom's like i'm gonna stick around and protect everybody I, I i'm more connected with the the um 
Tone of Worf and Dax, and it ties into what I was talking about with Call of Arms, where the ROM stuff in this feels too lighthearted for the tone of the show. That's like everything else that's going on, where I didn't have that problem in Call to Arms, but this, the episode right after it, I do have that problem where ROM being, you know, they're, they're about to be invaded and ROM is uh, worrying about his wedding, like what's going to happen yeah. at the wedding and stuff. It's like, this is is a little silly. I don't know why the focus on Ram and Lita as opposed to everybody else. And I think it it was a mistake to make them the focal points, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that because I, I, I actually like the Ram and Lita stuff. I felt that it was fairly in uh, in the style of the show to deal with the way that they did it. And uh, I actually thought the scene where, where they had to split up was after, right after the wedding was, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I, I don't disagree that Worf and Dax are are more of a, uh, a relationship that you care about. To be fair, they've spent more time developing Rom and Lita and having them move forward in their relationship than they really have with Dax and Worf. Because it's just the Dax and Worf has just always kind of been there. Yep. And even the thing that they the scene that they have in this one, she's not saying yes to a proposal that he proposed to her. She's just saying, "I know that you wanted to ask me to marry me," and the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's. That scene is very much. He might have proposed uh, many episodes ago. Um, I don't think he did. The because what she says is uh, the answer is yes, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" And she says, "I will marry you." That thing that you've wanted to say forever, or something like that. Okay, where I'm pretty sure he doesn't actually. He he has not actually asked her. Okay. Um, and they also used that as like a a a goal for the future instead of putting uh, um the relationship itself in peril the way they do with Lita and Rom, because you have this culmination of their kind of story arc. And then immediately they have to pull them apart and separate them. And, uh, for, yeah, for, sorry th- for Lita or Lita and Rom or for Worf and Dad for Lita and Rom. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that you've, they, they have this culmination of their, of their relationship arc and then they immediately are pulled apart. Yeah. Um, and I thought that, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a, I thought using them for that was a good uh, shorthand for the non-Starfleet uh, families on the on the sh- on the, the uh, on Deep Space Nine and and you know how this is going to emotionally affect them and stuff. Um, I think it does a good a good job of it's something we've always said that DS Nine does really well. It shows you that not everyone is Starfleet in this show. Yeah. Like it, there there's a distinct separation of where people go and who remains and where. You know, the Starfleet have to abandon and go back to the starships that are there. The Bajorans get to go back to Bajor and the Dominion honors the non-aggression pact with them. And then the people who are part of the Bajoran uh, military militia, which would be like Odo and Kira, get to stay on the station to set things up. It's a, it's a really, I, I feel it's a modern storytelling device in the fact that it, it moves people into different positions very well. Like it's you end the season knowing that you're going to move into a new season and a whole bunch of new options have opened up for you with in terms of what kind of character stories you're going to tell because mm-hmm. people aren't just on the station anymore. And I think that that's important. And I think that the series like breaking those groups apart and showing you that not everybody is in Starfleet the way the TNG kind of feels like everyone is in Starfleet uh, is a benefit to the show. And it's a benefit to this kind of story that they want to tell. Yeah, and I thought the the way that they handled a lot of the character stuff was was smart in a way that uh, um, not to get too far into this, but it was smart in a way that the way they've handled similar stuff in the last season of Game of Thrones has not been as smart. Mm-hmm. The big the the big 
com- you know, uh, comparative there, I would say, well, it's not a one-to-one because obviously it's different information, but uh, Jon Snow telling Daenerys the truth about his lineage the night before the biggest battle of their lives just seems like the dumbest, most contrived thing I can possibly think of because mm-hmm. strategically that makes absolutely zero sense. Um, and it's just, if anything... Just it's bad very, timing. <laughs> it's bad timing, and it's very <laughs> selfish on his part to put that into her head the night before they have to defeat, you know, the, liter- the literal embodiment of death. And that's, I think that's why I appreciated basically all of the relationship stuff. There was none of that, like, oh, just before this all this shit goes underway, here's a really huge emotional bomb that I'm going to drop on you uh, that we're going to have to come back to later. Like the Odo and Kira scene, I loved that scene. I thought it was great. Where. <laughs> Where he was like, just so you know, I'd like to ask you out, but I'm not going to do it now. And I let's let's pr- just table all of this stuff for now because we have bigger shit to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And I loved her reaction too. I love that both of them are much more comfortable in uh, dealing with uh, impending doom and war than they are dealing with personal feelings. Right. <laughs> um, and That's the same point. with the Dax and Dax and Worf thing, where it's where it's like you know she's just. They'd be like, this is where we stand. Just want to let you know, this is how it's going. Uh, all right, we can we can come back to this later. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah. They, they focused on the important stuff without sacrificing the character work. Yeah. Um, however, I will say, I really thought Dax's acting in this episode was not good. Okay. I Well, I guess we can tie into that scene. I think that that scene is weird, and I don't think it does her any favors. The one where she and Worf say goodbye because they're splitting mm-hmm. up on the different ships. Because that is a very Star Trek-y approach to a relationship where the Rom and Lita thing kind of makes sense because they're sort of goofy. Like the, the comedy works and that they you don't you don't really buy into them as a couple in a way that you're supposed to. Like you understand their relationship between each other and you understand that they're getting married and then they're gonna have to separate. Worf and Dax to me feel like they should be more of a normal relationship. And mm-hmm. their goodbye is the weakest goodbye to people who may not see each other in the future. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's basically the Star Trek handshake because they don't want to get too down and dirty into like the the romantic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So they basically say like, well, I'll get married. All right, see you later. And she doesn't even look back over her shoulder when she walks away from him. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah. uh, and I, I don't know if that's a problem, but it's a weird Star Trek-y thing that only happens in 90s Star Trek. I think if, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, if Discovery were to do this, it would be a five-minute swelling violin oh, God, scene, you know what terrible. I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I actually think I prefer it. Um, they are professionals. Yeah, they, they've got other stuff on their mind. Uh, you know, they've got jobs to do, and they're not, they're not sacrificing their characters or their, their emotional, you know, connection to each other. Um, for the sake of their job and they're also not sacrificing their mindset towards their job in favor of their emotional thing to each other Mm -hmm. um i i did i didn't think that dax's acting was very good overall i don't know if that's a problem with with the actress or if it was the character or what but she was just really uh is there another scene um, besides that one that you're thinking of i can only think of her in that scene um that one and i didn't like any time all the stuff with her in the defiant Oh, yeah, playing the mind. Uh, th- yeah, or, or even when they were getting, you know, shot at towards the end. I don't know if she was trying to play it as um, just uh, calm and cool in the face of danger or something, but it was just really weird, especially in, like, the Defiant scenes 
where everyone around her is blowing up and she's sending these messages back to to Cisco and she's just like we're going to do the best that we can in order to finish this mission. Everyone's dying around me. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yep. then she gets off that, you know, they have that scene with Worf, and Dorn is swinging for the fence. Like, he's, you know, really kind of got his, his energy up, and his emotion is kind of all... He's clearly frazzled and, you know, trying to take stock of everything. And then she's just like, hey, oh, by the way, I will marry you, so try not to die. See you later. Yeah, yeah. And I don't... Again, I don't know if that's... The, the the intention was to seem more calm, but I think sometimes you have to kind of get that energy up for that stuff to really land, you know? Yeah, it, it's tough because she has a line in that scene where she's like, I've lived through war before, uh, referencing the prior Dax hosts, obviously. Um, yeah, some of them yeah. were probably killed in war and stuff like that. But I I think that undercuts that scene a little bit if you have this like super wise all not all knowing but like very experienced creature that's saying goodbye mm-hmm. it, it does kind of undercut the the drama there of the or the like the relationship or the romantic aspect a little bit and i don't know if it's intentional because now that you've reminded me i think her scenes while commanding the defiant are very bad uh yeah. probably worse than that scene and i don't that, that's always I always wondered if it was just because when they shoot those scenes, it's just like her sitting in the chair in the camera right in her face. Like you're not acting against anyone. You're just kind of like talking as if you're talking to somebody, but no one is there while you're filming it in real life. And and maybe she just doesn't uh, handle that kind of stuff very well, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm being unfair because if I remember O'Brien's scenes were were also kind of similar where it's like, O'Brien, we have to get this done. He's like, yeah, I know. Give me a minute. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just like casually walking around. It looks like he's looking at his phone. He's obviously yeah, not, but yeah. it's like it's like <laughs> it looks like O'Brien's just wandering around the cargo hold, looking at his phone. And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to need like two more hours, guys. Candy Crush has got me. Candy Crush yeah. has got me. Yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's fair. That's I I still I still kind of outside of Dax's acting, I think they did a pretty good job of getting like all the characters in line here so that yes, everyone kind of yeah. has something to go on. You know that everyone is in, in leaving in different uh, ways, shapes, and forms. I really love Cisco's goodbye speech to everybody mm, before he yeah. beams off. Um, I thought we could, I, I think that's probably a good place to talk about because that is what I was talking about where the, it's a, what happens here is basically a dark version of the pilot. And, you know, DS9 is different from TNG in that you do get the sense that they've actually lived here for a long time. And even if they haven't really nailed the emissary role for Cisco, uh, they use it a little bit here, uh, just in that he wants Bajor to stay. He wants Bajor to sign the non-aggression pact with the Dominion, um, and he pushes his role as the emissary to make that happen. Um but it, everything is feeding off of everything. Like all of that ties back to the Rapture episode that we saw when he had those premonitions about Locust coming through the wormhole and he said that Bajor has to stand alone. Um, that all ties nicely into the fact that Bajor is saved because he refuses to allow them to join the Federation. If they had joined the Federation, they would have been the first world to fall to the Dominion because they're basically right at the door of the Dominion. Um and I think that that long-term storytelling works, and it works well in his his speech, which is surprisingly emotional. You do get the sense that he belongs there, and you do get the sense that I at least got the sense that it's one of the few times where, even if it's subtextual, you get the idea that his emissary role matters just as much as his Starfleet role does. And the show mm. is, the show has never really gotten that right. It, it never really paid too much attention to the emissary stuff, but I think it's fairly effective here as the background uh, information. 
Yeah, even even here though, still it it seems like he, at least in the first time that he brings it up, he's using it slightly as just a bargaining chip where he's where he's uh, he wants to talk to or, or send a message to the Bajorans. Yep. And Kira's like, uh, "Well, you talking as commander of Deep Space Nine or as the emissary?" And he's like, uh, "Well, both, frankly, right? Because uh, that'll that'll get their attention." Um, it's a little but bit yeah, cynical, that, but I I I, I don't. Um... I, I, yeah, I guess it would be a little bit cynical, but I don't think that him doing that discounts it, if that makes any sense. Like he, yeah, that's fair. He still kind of, he still kind of believes in it, but he knows that that's the button he has to push in order to get someone on the phone with him. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I thought his his speech there was great. Um, it it really uh, it really is a good um, character. I don't want to say completion because obviously it, it, I. Yeah, honest, part of me kind of almost does want to say completion because when you compare it to where he was at the in the in the pilot, uh, it's very much a um, a completed character arc. And I was actually thinking as I was watching it, I was like, you know, this this could have been part of like the series finale. I think mm-hmm. uh, you could have however many episodes it takes to to tie it up. I could see them ending the show after whatever this stretch is. Right. Um. But because uh, it has that kind of feel to it, you know, like they're real, they're going out of their way to tie up storylines or at least moving them forward to the point where they say they look like they're tied up because every, everything that they do character wise in this episode feels like they're tying up storylines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I could have seen this it, and it, it had that kind of uh, uh, vibe to it. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see see how it changes after after the, the war is over. Yeah, well, the uh, the war will go to the series finale. Okay, um, well, I guess I guess I should say the the, the next this string arc. of seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. Th- this this arc, I, like that's the that would be my point is that they they have this arc where this continues and then that'll end, but the war will continue until the series ends. So it's it's just it's it's being stretched out because of the '90s television rule, basically. Like right. they, it probably should end after the immediate arc of everything, but they are going to continue the series on until the show actually ends. Um. And I think that the, the the thing that I I think this is a very DS ninety episode. Um, you know, I have small quibbles aside from I think that the uh, Rom latest storyline is not my favorite thing that I would have liked to focus on. It feels like this is the millionth time that we've seen the station under attack, and they all feel mm-hmm. very similar to each other. Those scenes, mm-hmm. um, the, I think the CG in this is pretty good. I think the battle scenes look pretty good, all things considered. Um, but it's not the most exciting scene, especially because it feels very reminiscent. I feel like Cisco has said battle stations and cut to black about 17 times over the course yeah, of the yes. series. Yeah. Uh, so if you ignore that and you just kind of like ignore the action ep- uh, aspect, I think that everything else works pretty well. And I think that one of the things that it does particularly well is that it refocuses on the, uh, the Dominion as a threat and it refocuses on how the Dominion actually <laughs> operates, where... We get a lot of sense here that the uh, the Dominion have been signing non-aggression treaties with a whole bunch of races in the Alpha mm-hmm. Quadrant so that they are loath to attack or defend themselves and the Dominion won't attack them. It kind of isolates the Federation and the Klingons. And then we get the big news that the Romulans have signed one, which is kind of uh, what upsets Worf and kicks off everything in the high gear where they realize that they have to do stuff. I think that the I think the show is surprisingly mature for its political stuff. I'm not going to say that this is like a grand treatise on like political thoughts or anything like that Mm -hmm. but i Mm -hmm. think they do a good job of 
summarizing the races and act and treating them like they're actually different things that have different interests on them. And I think that the the position that the Federation and the Klingons find themselves in here is like believably stressful. Like you could understand how they would get to this point and internally in terms of like the, the canon and all of the fran and the franchise and like all the other races, I think that it makes sense. But it's a very I just I, I want to keep going back to it's like a mature storytelling kind of thing. Yeah. Like it it feels yeah. more mature than usual Star Trek stuff feels because it feels like it's grounded and actually realistically could happen. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, <clears throat> it's just really. Uh, I would agree that it it handles the the different races in a in a way that makes them feel um, like they exist on their own and not just to serve the the story that you're telling about Starfleet. Um, yeah, the Romulans signing the uh, non-aggression pact makes a lot of sense. I thought the stuff with Bajor was great, um, where uh, Cisco was telling them to also sign the non-aggression pact and all, and all that kind of be And then him uh, declaring, or I should say explaining how his his job was to protect Bajor and, and it by putting them in harm's way, he can't do that. I thought that stuff was great. That was just really smart, um, smart way to handle the politics as well as keeping it consistent with with character. Yeah, keep it and, as his uh, emissary because <clears throat> his emissary and Starfleet role are both bound by protecting Bajor. Like that's right. both jobs operating principles. So he can he his his characterization kind of blends together at that point because he's no longer either or Starfleet or the Emissary. He gets to play both of them at the same time. Yeah, and and I think a, a more modern show or one that didn't consider its elements um, as maturely, Star Trek Discovery, I'm looking at you, um, you would have the... Maybe this will still happen, I don't know. But you would have... <laughs> first, you would have Bajor, you know... Or the other, yeah, but you'd have Bajor being like, no, we're going to stand by the, we're going to stand by you in your time of need or blah, blah, blah. Or at the very least, you'd have the Bajor army come out of nowhere uh, and blow up the Dominion or some shit, you know, like, which <laughs> I, I was hope thinking that doesn't happen. If it does happen, if it does happen, please tell me so I don't have to be disappointed when that happens. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like the, the difference between what they're doing here and what they did in Discovery, where... They're treating these things fairly uh, realistically, but in Discovery, it's like, well, let's have this pre-warp civilization that just learned how to drive sh cars or whatever all of a sudden know how to fight intergalactic space battles yep. just because we need to tie things up. Yeah. You know, it's, y you don't have to do that every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's the, it's just a benefit of having the lore exists as well as the fact that this show has existed for five 26 episode seasons where discovery is making a lot of leaps in order to make things kind of make sense there where it's on a condensed timeline and everything, which isn't the problem, but it's, again, it's the fact that it's just like the, your logic. If you have this stuff to build off of your end result can make more sense than the way that discovery tends to like to make its plots re uh, resolve yeah. itself. And yeah, I, I think that the, by spending so much time with Bajor and everything like that, and even though, you know, I don't think that Bajor has been particularly well developed over the course of this series. I think that it's no. a big weakness of the show and everything, but they've spent enough time with them where something like this resonates with you mm -hmm. as a viewer, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, well, Bajor has to be saved. Like, everyone should go to Bajor and be safe, and it's good that Cisco's saving them and everything like that. But that's, that's the benefit of that. 
Yeah, and I also loved what they were doing with the Cardassians as well because I, I loved the uh, um, the way Wayun and uh, Dukat were playing off of each other. In in that, Dukat is still very much only concerned with the glory of the Cardassian Empire and how that affects him and his position. He doesn't seem to uh, uh, appreciate the Dominion. I guess would be yeah, it would be like right. not appreciating that they've helped him, but he doesn't seem to appreciate the problems the dominion could give him um like he 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 sees himself as equal with the dominion as opposed to a subset of the dominion yeah i would also argue that he just sees the dominion as a tool Mm, sure Uh, you know even i I, even maybe equal but equal in name only you know i think he probably in his mind he's probably thinking as soon as it makes sense to dump the dominion that's what they should do yeah um, I don't know. He's gonna have to ask Wei Yun for that sweet shoulder thing back. I don't know what the hell that was for, but uh, the little the little visor thing that they're wearing. Yeah, were they were they playing like <laughs> Sega Genesis or something on that? I don't I don't know what the point of that is. At least if if you're gonna give a like a little prop like that, at least have like uh, that kind of vision, like the RoboCop vision or something, so I can see yeah. what he's using. Well, I thought it was gonna play into some like secret weapon or something. Oh, gotcha. You know, I thought that was gonna be some sort of control mechanism for like uh this massive cannon or some shit i don't know speaking of massive cannons and, it guides and weapons, the, it guides the bomb that gets thrown down the well of bajor and it blows up yes. the planet. <laughs> <laughs> um i have a unless i missed something i have a bit of a issue with the logic behind the 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 minefield sure so what good is the minefield if the Cardassians know that it exists because the mines replicate. Just why don't? Well, they know they're all there. Why don't they just blow a bunch of them up? Because the mines will replicate, and so it, destroying them just causes more of them to appear. Basically, um, so I guess I guess I don't understand why why cloaking them was a big deal then because they they know they're there. That that's true. I, I guess so. The ships don't. Uh, drive in these ships have to be able to not see them so that they can't just drive around them does, does that yeah. make sense like i'm i, I guess I I, like, I I like they know that they know the minefield is there and they so cloaking them i guess is kind of pointless at that point yeah i i thought that they i thought they put them out there they cloak them so that you can't see them so that you'll drive into them and you can't get right. rid of them because the replicating nature just based the replicating thing is just the way of getting around that. Why don't you just turn like it, once you blow a couple of them up, the rest of them, it won't be a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's I'm fine with it. I'm willing to take it on whatever. But I, I think the biggest the biggest problem is just go substantially around it and you'll be OK. You know, like a minefield yeah. in space doesn't make a lot of sense in yeah, general. Space is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, you you could just drive for five minutes in one direction and then sort of turn around and, and make it around the minefield. I think so. That that's yeah, my you, big problem with it. Yeah. yeah, unless it's a and I mean the way that it was laid out too was very uh, straight. <laughs> it was very two dimensional, you know, and you're working with a three dimensional yep thing. Like I thought for I mean they didn't do this, but I thought that the that what was going to happen after they cloaked it was they were all going to like shift or something oh, so just that way wiggle around yeah gotcha yeah so that way it wouldn't just be a wall uh, a flat one dimensional wall of mines it would be like something that once they cloak 
they move in, into a more unpredictable three-dimensional pattern. Yeah, that's maybe that, that's probably my headcanon, actually. I just kind of assume they did that. I, I don't picture them staying in lines like that. I know they laid them out them uh, like that, but I, I picture them more chaotic so that the... That, that's what you're talking about, the cloaking. Like, if you knew where they were, you could go around them. I picture that they're moving, like, uh, sort of randomly and that the cloaks yeah. prevent you from realizing where they are. Yeah, yeah let's just pretend that's what's happening. Because otherwise, <laughs> it's like trying to protect someone from getting up to your front door by putting, like, a three-by-three three square of fence in front of your – on your walkway. Right. Yep. It's like, okay, I'm just going to take two steps to the left, and then I'm going to go around it. Yeah, it's like building a picket fence where the, you only have enough wood to make the picket come every five feet or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's not a great fence. It's not doing its job. Yeah, um, yeah I think that the, I think the Dominion and the Cardassians um, come across pretty well here in terms of villainy. Um, I think that every scene with them works. I like the Cisco and Wayun scene. I think that Wayun is very effective in this one. Um, he's not overly goofy as he was in a previous episode, which I can't remember. Uh, I mean, he looks he looks a lot. His cells look a lot less bored. I can tell you that much. <laughs> he's he's certainly relaxed and ready to go. Um, and then I think that yeah, the Ducat thing, uh, just sort of bristling under the yoke of the Dominion, works really well. And I think that the the battle scenes over work really well. And then I think that them boarding DS Nine at the very end is a great scene uh, between everything. I like the, you know, it sets up. It does the other modern thing. It sets up what the characterization is. Like, it's a... Odo being there is a... um, prob, Not a pro Odo being there is an interesting thing for the Dominion, right? Because the Dominion mm. still treat him as a god. So they have a... They have one of their leadership on the station with them. And Dukat does not view Odo that way, which mm-hmm. is a problem. Like, there's a lot of story that you can build off of that. But... Odo, I think it's a really smart decision to have Odo, I don't know where else he would have gone, but like, even if it happened by accident, Odo being there on the station with the Dominion is a like ripe for story idea. And it's a good outcome for that character. Yeah. Yeah. And having Kira there for the, with the Cardassians is the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Um, having Quark there, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was surprised Quark walked up like he was actually one of the most important people on the yes, station. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it makes it makes sense for him because you know he wants to ingratiate himself with yep. the with the new rulers. Uh, I for one welcome our new ant overlords. You know, <laughs> he bought a bunch um, of yamak sauce and he's got he's got a lot of that to unload on people. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought that scene was great. You know, I thought the way that Dukat and Kira you know, reacted to each other was really good and not too overblown. Like Ducat didn't have some big evil speech Mm -hmm. to give to her. It was just very smug and, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows where they stand kind of. Yeah. He has some line Um, about back to the good old days. Basically. He says something along those lines, uh, like who, who'd have thought we'd all be here again at this point in our lives or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, Cisco does the the thing of you know blowing up the station. That just adds a little bit of a delay to it. I like the baseball scene. Um, I like the fact that Cisco doesn't say anything in his last shot. He's just kind of sitting yeah. there. Um, they, I didn't love that shot. Of Cisco? I think they could. Yeah, I think they could have done something a little bit more dramatic, or like he could have had more of a intense look on his face or something. He just kind of was like heavy lidded. Like they caught him in between takes or something. Yeah, he looks b- uh, bemused. I guess would yeah. be the way that I would describe it. Yeah, he's. 
Um, I'm always a big fan of characters standing looking out of windows for things like that. I think that, that, yes. that, that works particularly well. I didn't, or like it would have been a nice, you know, angry kind of like, uh, uh, angry sit in the captain's chair kind of, kind of position or sure. something. Yeah. But yeah. also, I mean, you could, it, it does also more fit his character to sit in that more kind of, uh, reserved sort of way you know yeah sort of fingers together in front of his nose that kind of uh, yeah. that kind of look and then the um the final shot is final uh, somewhat iconic of the uh klingon bird of prey and the defiant joining the fleet that's coming in um mm-hmm. and i think i thought that that's a it's a good example of something that happens in the background that is a good thing to happen in the background and you don't need to see it the start the the fleet destroying the dominion shipyards without you seeing any of it is a good example of stuff that you can background and you don't need to see it. Um, yeah. Another uh, great background was Bajor agreeing to sign the non-aggression treaty. Cause for a second I was like, fuck, if they spend 10 minutes <laughs> going to Bajor and headlining a document that, yeah, luckily it was like as soon as Kira left, hard cut to Captain's log. They've agreed to sign the, <laughs> the non-aggression back. It's like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You you don't want to go through uh, red line versions while Wayun sort of looks over this thing with a fine tooth comb, and then uh, yeah. Kai Wynn stands over his shoulder and everything. I, I'm sure. I'm sure there there is a pitch in there though for that scene where it's like Kai Wynn versus Wayun in a in a you know battle of diplomacy. I'm sure someone thought would be a fucking great scene. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it is, but I, I just not at this point in the episode, I don't think. Yeah, not this not season. this episode, not this part of the season or anything. So would you would you think of this one as a uh, season finale? Because DS, oh, was great. DS9 so would you I don't know if I've asked you this before. DS9 does not do sort of cliffhanger endings the way TNG does. Uh it does more of the modern style of you show an event that is going to change things for the next season. Yes. Um, yeah. I think we've talked about this before, but if you just want to say again, whether you prefer one way or the other, I think that I, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to see this in TNG's perspective now, because when we watched TNG, it was available. We didn't have like the three month wait to resolve the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that being the most annoying aspect of those kinds of endings where the cliffhanger hits you and then it's like we'll see you in three months when the show yeah. resumes or whatever and it was yeah. it was very irritating i i prefer this much more where you could you could argue it's still kind of a cliffhanger because you're like oh man like what's going to happen next but it's not a uh guy holds up a gun and then we cut to black and you're like well right how is that going to happen like what's going to happen now yeah i i i don't know if i would consider it a cliffhanger i i, I think i would agree with you that if you wanted to you could but i don't know if i would explicitly call it a cliffhanger um you'd have to consider eh. every you'd have to call every episode of modern tv a cliffhanger at that point yeah yeah um but yeah i would agree yeah i i, I always hated the uh uh to be continued se- season finale because it what while usually you do get great episodes out of it it, it just feels so cheap you know because it's like well we got to make sure people come back so let's make sure they have to it's also, if they want any sort of closure about anything. It's also one of those, you know, that with five minutes left, that it's just not going to resolve itself in the first yeah. episode. And you're, you're looking at the watch going like, well, where are they going to hang this for now? And yeah, I, I think it's a relic of TNG. I, I, I like the fact that there are two partners and it makes TNG kind of a unique. Um, it adds a unique, not a uniqueness because other shows did it, but it makes TNG sort of 
uh, standalone in terms of itself like that. Voyager would yeah. copy the TNG model, but I think DS9's is a little bit more satisfying. It's a little bit better in terms of writing uh, stuff. Where yeah. You're not going to end up with a, a shitty second part as your season opener. Yeah, I would say this is not a cliffhanger because I think as far as what actually happens in the episode, it is it is a fairly complete story, right? Because all, all the character stuff is is more or less tied up for for the for the point that the, it, for the point that they have it at, and it ends with the Cardassians retaking the station. That is that's not a cliffhangery ending. That's just it's it's a shift of the status quo. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where that stuff gets a little bit tricky. Like I wouldn't call the end of Empire Strikes Back a cliffhanger. I know a lot of people would. Uh I would call the end of Matrix Reloaded a cliffhanger, <laughs> but I would not but not um not Star Wars. And I think this is a lot closer to Star Wars where it's like you've got you've you've told a complete story and you have very much laid the groundwork for what's going to happen next and your audience is going, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. But the story in and of itself that you have told in your containment bubble of episode or movie is finished, you know? Yeah. Breaking Bad is interesting. Breaking Bad, I think, generally went the DS9 route, although there was that one season ender where Aaron Paul uh, Pinkman, like, opens the door to that second chemist's apartment with a gun drawn and then they cut to black right there. Mm. That that is a cliffhanger within Breaking yes. Bad, but yeah. yeah, that's um, that's the exception, I suppose. I, I I prefer it. I think this is this is probably my favorite DS9 season finale. I think that they do. Um, it's tough to remember all of them now, but the, you know, there's stuff like the Gem Hadar, and then there's the the first season one, which is not particularly good, and we had the last mm-hmm. seasons, which was uh, Odo gains is like uh, Odo loses his shape shifting, which is not particularly impressive or anything like that, and I think that this one. This one feels like a sea change, and I think that yeah. it uh, it manages to accomplish everything that it wants to do with that sea change. It, it works as an episode, and it works as a season finale, and it's very um, satisfying as a season finale, I think. Yeah, I would even go one step further and, and argue that this is in, like, top three best season finales of any Star Trek. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Like, people compare this to, say, this is DS9's Best of Both Worlds Part 1. Yeah, I would... I would... I would probably put it up there with that one, yeah, because it's it, it's tough because I feel like arguably you could, well, I don't know, because I, I, what I was going to say was I feel like arguably you could show someone who has not watched Star Trek, you could show them Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and they would be into it and, the, and it would still work, whereas this one you really have to have been there for the journey, however... Yes, yeah. I was thinking, uh, I, um, I know Dave, our, our buddy Dave, who, who's done the Star Wars uh, shows with us, like loves this shit. And I, and I don't think he ever watched Deep Space Nine. And I wanted to be like, man, I think he would really enjoy this episode. But I don't, he, he would have to watch so much other stuff. But what, then I what, do thinking, you think I lo- what do you think he loves? Is just the action y space battle y war story? No, I think it's uh, the other stuff. It's the diplomacy stuff that I think. Oh, he would oh like. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the, the, the war maneuvering and everything. And I, I feel like I was trying to decide whether or not to recommend he watch this, having not watched anything else. Mm. And I'm probably still leaning towards no. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, it's it's it is a pretty good episode just across the board. Yeah, yeah, I. I guess the question is, like, if you wanted to lead into this, how many episodes of DS9 before do you think you'd have to watch? Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I was like, well, maybe I should have Wes 
draft a list draft a, of like the, the three or <laughs> three to five episodes you need to watch to make sense of what's going on in this one yeah yeah but he's not gonna watch them anyway so it's not worth it <laughs> but yeah it's a yeah I, I i think it's that's just the difference between them where best of both worlds can kind of stand on its own it's also tough to say because uh, tng is such like a cultural milestone that if you're yeah. not familiar with the show you still kind of know the show you know what i mean mm-hmm. ds9 is not really that way and DS9 is also more layered, where no, if, if you're unfamiliar with DS9, you're not going to understand that Cisco has this emissary role and Bajor is particularly important to him and everything like that, and that Worf and Dax have been dating for a little while and stuff. It, 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 yeah. That would feel a little bit arbitrary, but I think that the the um, the broad strokes of it is very appealing to watch as an episode, where the character beats that make up the broad strokes are very much the DS9 minutia that you wouldn't understand as a, a new viewer. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, yeah, you. I mean, I guess the Dominion stuff would all make sense and everything like that. In, in yeah, terms of it's, it's interesting to me too how how this series lands in general because I um, I've talked to Murphy about it a few times and he's watched everything. I think from like season three. I think he started watching when from when Worf shows up. Yep, season four. Um, <clears throat> season four. Yeah, and. Even still, he he doesn't really. It, it's never really clicked with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is actually Avery Brooks because Brooks, he has mentioned that he just can't deal with Avery Brooks, <laughs> uh, which you know, to each their own, I suppose. And I don't, I don't entirely. Uh, I, I understand where he's coming from. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I can. Well, I guess we can. Um, well, yeah, finish your thought if you have, if you have something after that. Maybe we don't well, need to talk you know, about Brooks at this point. But I was just thinking because, like, I mean, he's watched you know was a, where it was a season five so he's watched uh he had watched an entire two seasons worth before getting to this point and you know even that wasn't enough for him mm. i guess yep. to, to really make this really stand out but i also think i don't know i think this is a different kind of star trek than he likes anyway i don't want to put words in his mouth but if i were to guess it, yeah. it's probably not because i know he he's a huge tng fan and i know he really likes voyager uh, and this is very much not either of those shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's a, that's a fairly big dividing line. It's just the, yeah, the amount of time you have to put into DS9 is probably its biggest downside to it. Yeah. Where you you know you could probably come up with a curated list, but I think even watching a curated list of the show, you lose a lot. Like there's going to be beats that happen in otherwise unnecessary to watch episodes that you probably would gain something by watching even mm-hmm. even through it and. The problem is it's just way too many episodes to want to watch that. Like, unless you're doing this podcast, it's like, it's just too many episodes of the show to watch, um, to get through it in any kind of efficiency. So right. you're, you're kind of stuck at that point. It's, it's tough to have a serialized story that is also incredibly long at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Three seasons um, of this is equal to what Game of Thrones did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really, uh, making serialized television, I should say you're you're really seeing it 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 go through like the growing pains uh, watching the series. I think yeah, <laughs> yeah in but- ways it in ways that are different than the other shows. You know, I, we've talked before about the way uh, the X Files did it, or the way Buffy did it, or the way um, you know Twin Peaks did it. They managed to they managed to set their f- um, formula pretty consistently from the start mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel as awkward 
as it does sometimes with DS9, because DS9 is very much going off of the TNG formula and then realizing, shit, we have to figure out our own way of doing stuff. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. I think they've, when they do, so far I've enjoyed it when they, when they do the more serialized stuff. Um, so yeah, seeing seven in a row like this that are, that are all going to be just straight up like one big story is going to be interesting. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a big turning point, but but the fans frequently like this section. They like the, I think, um, season six is considered to be one of the top two along with season four, which we really Mm -hmm. like. Season six is a very good season of this show. Um, how was, how was five generally received? No one talks about five. Five, according to our ratings, we were we were much more down on five than we were on four. Four, yeah, four is a much better season. It feels that way. Yeah, th- this one also um, discovery got in the way of season five, so it's like it, mm-hmm. it, it 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 made season five feel like it was much much longer than season four. I think, um, but yeah, I I feel like season four was really really great, and this one was a little bit of a down step, mostly because I think the second half of season five is pretty weak. Uh, we we had a couple fours I think, but there wasn't anything that like it was a long stretch of twos and threes for a while. Um, but yeah, that's it. Let's take a break. We're gonna uh, play an audio clip, then we're gonna come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about this season finale called Arms. I assume Captain Cisco removed or destroyed everything of value. Not everything. What is that? A message from Cisco. I don't understand. <laughs> He's letting me know. He'll be back. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file by June 5th, if you're at the $5 level by June 5th, you're going to get some Orville coverage. We're going to be talking about four episodes of the Orville. So... If you want to hear, we'll be about- going around every single contourville of the show. <laughs> this is, this will end eventually, folks. Uh, if we get over a hundred patrons, Clay will stop doing the Orville puns, uh, which he's got a long <laughs> Excel spreadsheet to list of everything that he's come up with at this point. I've got plenty moreville where that came from. <laughs> so, and I had to do two because I forgot to do one last episode. <laughs> so, if um, if you guys are interested, join the five dollar and up tier on patreoncom slash file by June fifth, and you will get Orville episodes. If you like the Orville, I'd recommend doing it. Otherwise, the captains who uh, support the show get a shout out at this point: Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Brad Killens, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Matt Flores, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Michael Pond. Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brendan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, uh, Russ Graham, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. You have been our military-industrial complex that's brought us to this point, I think, where we're going to be uh, engaging in the Dominion War, Clay, which is... Um, and you should all feel morally... Um bad about it just as much as the real military industrial complex does i guess we should i guess so you're going to be my eisenhower here and tell me about how this has all gone horribly wrong um you've been hearing about the dominion war since the start of the show Mm -hmm. um do you have thoughts about that do you like even if you talk on like a meta level of uh not being either either being a good or bad thing to know that something is coming uh, what do you think about that? And I guess, like, 
you don't have to make specific predictions, but if I'd be interested to hear where you think the war goes from here. Um, well, my thoughts on it in general are, I feel like they've done a pretty good job, um, building up to it and not having it feel like just something that they pull out of their ass. Uh, clearly they've been, well, I, I guess you could in, at least in retrospect, say that they've, they've been dropping the seeds of it for like over a season at this point. Mm. Um, arguably since they met the dominion, it's been, well, yeah, I guess that's what I mean. Has it been more than a season? I don't remember when the Dominion showed Dominion up. Dominion show up at the end of season two. Wow, really? Yeah, the Jem'Hadar, Holy they shit. meet in the end of season two, and then they that meet the Founders. Sound, the Founders in season three, yeah, the opening. Wow. Yep. Yeah, okay. I mean, even 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 more so then, yeah. It's been, they've been building it for a long time, and I think they, I think it's it's been really uh, exciting to watch because it is a form of Star Trek that has not existed before this. And arguably hasn't existed since. No, uh, well, they've attempted. <laughs> yeah, even Discovery didn't really. I think they kind of wanted to do this, but they they just they didn't do it correctly because they they don't have the time to do it. Well, it shows you the um, downside of just jumping into in your first season a war story, right? Where yeah, the war yeah. the war story kind of requires this buildup of going through a Cold War period where you get to know the enemy and you get to know like how things are breaking down. If you if you just jump into it based on the idea that this is Star Trek and the Klingons always want to fight with the humans, it doesn't really land as a as a character piece. Like there's nothing to go off of there because you don't know it's the mirror universe problem. You don't know what baseline characters are like. So when they right. get put into a war situation, you don't know what it means when they react a certain way. Yeah. I mean unless that's the unless that's the 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 natural setting for your story. Like if you if you are setting it during wartime, that's fine. You can explore that stuff on the other side of that bar. Um, but if you're if you're starting off a thing with these two, these uh, we can't we can't we've been have this uh, uh, fragile piece that everybody seems to understand, except the people who are new to watching the show. And now you've destroyed that piece, and we're not really going to show you the consequences of that. You're just going to talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that then it doesn't work. Yeah. Um. But here, I mean, they, they've got, I would be, I would be interested to know how long this idea was in the cards, like, because the whole setup of the show is about taking back, uh, um, becoming a steward of like, uh, intergalactic borders, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so one group being pushed out while another group gets to come back and vice versa and all this kind of stuff. So you would think naturally, eventually that piece that the Starfleet has been brought in to maintain is going to deteriorate. Right. And I, I almost give them, I prop. Yeah. I would say I give them even more credit or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not credit. I should be giving them because it took five seasons to do it, but I, (laughs) I feel like I want to give them more credit for not doing it sooner because they managed to really take the time and explore a lot of the relationships and stuff before they decide to pull the trigger on the on the war. Yeah. Yep. Whereas they could have easily like done the discovery thing and been like, "Well, the first season hasn't gone too well. What if we just start the war now?" It might and be, I don't think it would have worked as well. Might be a good example of um executive interference, even though it's that the the executives did not want this war storyline to happen. Um Oh, really? Berman, I think the <laughs> I think the the 
popular uh, sort of myth about is Berman gave them something like three episodes to resolve this war storyline mm-hmm. at this point, and they carried it for two seasons, basically. Um, <laughs> so, like, the, it was not something that the... This was still in the era of executives did not want the show to be serialized at all. Like they mm-hmm, thought that every mm-hmm. time they did this, it was just hurting the show. And you can understand why it was at that point, because no one had DVR and things like that. Like if right, you right. if you're missing DS9 episodes, you really just have no idea what the hell is going on in the show. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of episodes that you could potentially miss and stuff like that. So that, that's kind of it. But um, let's move on to patron comments, I guess. If you support the show, patreon.com slash the Whereas nowadays... Nowadays, Star Trek is intensely serialized, and as I've said before, it's actually better if you haven't seen the episodes that came before. <laughs> they filled that hole. They they realized there yeah. was a problem that they had uh, they had to get through, and they did it with Discovery. Uh, patron thoughts, patreon.com. You uh, leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes if you support the show there. Call to arms, Andrew Cherlog. The beginning of a seven episode arc, seven episode arc, and the first time we truly see long form storytelling in Star Trek, and it feels great. The episode is well-paced, and a lot is accomplished without feeling like it was too rushed. Jake Sisko staying behind is the skin in the game that we need. If this arc was filmed today, he would probably get killed. Season 5 ends with yet another excellent episode, setting the stage for the now-hot war between the Federation and the Dominion. Matt Cutler says, A great way to end the season. I think the effects for the Battle of Deep Space Nine was really good. The end when the Defiant and the Bird of Prey joined the fleet was really good as well. What'd you think of the ending shots? I don't know if I got your opinions about it. Um, I thought it was cool. Like I, I thought it worked well for what it was supposed to do, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, just the way that they, they compose their multi-ship shots on Star Trek shows just feel really flat and boring to me. Mm, yep. Uh, cause it just seemed like someone took the clone tool and just was like, doot, 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 doot. now I'm going to take that whole group and copy that and move that, you know, yeah. whereas yep. I, I think the, 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 the shot of the Dominion coming towards Deep Space Nine was a bit better. Yeah. Because there you had, like, the one big ship kind of in the foreground, and then the camera kind of moved a little bit to see the other ships, and then the kind of... A little bit more Star Wars-y. It, it, like, yeah. the camera's kind of... I don't think the camera's moving there, but the, the, the movement of the ships implies camera movement, and you get different size ships, and you get different uh, sort of, like, uh, context, I suppose, between them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you could call it Star Warsy. I just think it's a matter of composition. Sure, yeah, uh, of the image, you know, because I, I think they did a nice job there of putting all putting the Dominion ships in the foreground and then kind of revealing uh, Deep Space Nine kind of smaller as the thing they were going towards, and but much more in, in uh, foreboding, impending thing, force, you know. You know what? You know what stationary um, shot I like that they've done a couple times at this point. It's the one where mm-hmm. the Jem Hadar ship docks underneath the station. And you're you're looking mm-hmm. up at the ship as it's docked. I just think that it's a really nice uh, layout there for those. Like in a way that the the ship docking at the outer ring is not particularly exciting, but there's something nice about the way that the Jem'Hadar ship looks there. Yeah, uh, yeah. But as far as like the fight, the 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 ship fights and stuff, I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, I think they're always going to be a little bit clunky in 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 the show, just because of the amount of money they have to work with and the amount of time they have to work with, it's not going to be right. You know, it's not going to be a, a cinematic quality. It's also um, always a 50% mix of stock footage that they've used before. And yeah, you just kind of yeah. repeat the whole thing, which doesn't really help add to the sense of like when Cisco says battle stations for the millionth time, it's the exact same sequence of firing missiles at people. Yeah. Um, Hall McLaughlin says, Called Arms, fantastic finish to start, start to finish, excuse me. 
The sense of horror at the Dominion authorities taking over DS9, the place that the characters and the audience have all come to call home, is palpable. Jake's decision to stay is maddening and perfectly in character for a cocky 18-year-old. Benjamin's dilemma and the pain over it are real and visceral. Best season finale so far. Can I, can I also say, if this was a modern show, to, to jump back for a second to the first point, if this was a modern show, I don't think they would kill Jake, but what I think they would do is I think Cisco would turn around and go after him. Hmm. You think so? Because... What's that? You think you think so? I'm, I'm I do. Oh, because I, I think yeah. his decision to not go back is the better decision, but it's played in a very Star Trekky way here. Like I, a lot of the, a lot of the DS9 <coughs> scenes that I have in my head is like DS9 more than TNG. I can see myself redirecting it in a more modern way, sort of like I, I can see where the improvement would come from in a more modern. Uh, context and like mm-hmm. I really like the Cisco realizing that Jake has been left behind but they do a Star Trekky thing of they over explain to the audience what's going on there mm-hmm. I- instead of just showing the reaction of Cisco realizing that Jake has been left behind and you let the actor carry all the weight the script hammers at home they're like you know Bashir walks up he's like what did you just read and Cisco's like Jake is still on the station I'm mad that he's still on the station but I gotta leave him there he's a grown man I'll see you later like there's a it, it, it sort of treats the audience like you're an idiot and that you can't understand what the dilemma of Cisco is in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I think I think you have to have him make the statement that they're not going to go back for him, though. Because, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty hard-line decision he has to make. Yeah. That I don't know would really track if... if but uh, I don't need he, another character explain... Yeah, that's I, fair. I, I can yeah. just have him say, like, continue on course without explaining to everyone else why he's saying that. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you got to make sure the people folding their laundry know what's happening. Right, <laughs> you appreciated um, it. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think in a I think in a more modern show, I think Cisco goes back for him. Okay, um, because that just that just feels like the the more hokey way to do it uh, these days. Like uh, the and not to, to to call back to Game of Thrones. Um, there was where there was this point where where I really started to see that the uh, the writing was becoming a lot more Hollywood. Was the I think it was a couple seasons ago where where Jamie and Braun go to the Snake People's place mm-hmm. to rescue his daughter, and it was just like oh this is just so hacky Hollywood, and it was like the worst storyline of that season. Yeah, and I feel like it would be like that where it's like this doesn't this is not a decision that's being made. In the in the context of the show, it's just a a uh, it's a, it's a writer putting their finger on the scale kind of decision. Sure, yeah. Um, and I think in that case, if this was a modern show, I think I think Cisco turns around and goes back. Yeah. Eric Johnson says my favorite because season- then you've got then you got to figure out how to get the 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 defiant. How's the defiant going to get close enough to the ship? Well, they have a cloaking device. Well, like if they can sneak everybody onto the deep space nine. They have to get Jake out of there before the rest of the Starfleet shows up to you know that kind of shit. Mm, sure. You know? Yeah, that's um significantly less epic of a story, I guess. There, the, yeah. the, the way that this leaves off, but we'll, you'll see where it goes, I suppose, in another episode. Uh, Eric Johnson says, "My favorite season finale in all of Trek. Yes, more than best of both worlds. We know these characters better. The threat has been established for longer, and the status quo game changer has more consequences." Taking Rom from the comic figure into an integral role in the start of the Dominion War is, a wonder- is wonderful. Every character gets their little moment in a, in a way modern day finales do reflexively, but not for DS9 finales up to this point. In the final shot is breathtaking. 
I even really like that one scene with Rom and Quark where uh, Quark kisses him on the back yeah, of the head. That, that's my that favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite scene between those two. Um, especially just they did a good job of you know Quark is led into that by uh, not believing in the wedding and stuff like that. And it's totally yeah. uh, it, once he realizes that Rom is helping him, it's a very selfish Quark reaction that actually also is kind of heartwarming at the same time. So it's a nice yeah. mix of those two things. I was I was actually expecting the opposite. A way for that scene to play out, which was Quark being, you know, saying the same stuff that he said, but then Rom just turning around and just really laying into him, mm-hmm. finally being like, "You don't respect me. That's my job." But you know that kind of thing, like really standing up to him. But I, I, because that I, that also would feel more modern if they did that. But I like the way that they handled it here, where nope, Rom's just going to keep doing his job and Quark's going to continue to be a dick, but there is an understanding about, you know, and the the love between them is is there. I, th- yeah. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, this is much more true to their characterization than the um, mixing it up for plot mechanics where you want these two to be at odds for the next season or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle Barr says, call to arms. Fuck yeah, in all caps. And I think that's it. Oh, no, Zam Nuclear <laughs> Wessel says, call to arms. I like seeing Jake in the infirmary during the final prep. Like felt like a nice continuation of, of him and Bashir's previous experience together. I thought that as well. Did you pull yeah. that Clay? Yeah, when they talk when uh, the war episode where Jake falls down the hole with a soldier who's dying. Um, and then the moment I also when- I also really like that scene too. I because uh, they didn't really talk much about like they they didn't really wax poetic about what was going on. It was just sort of like this is what's happening in the in the in the in the uh, uh, sick bay. And uh, they got across the uh, the uh, anticipation aspect where it's like, yeah, now we just hang out and we just wait. And then I really, I really liked when Bashir was like, "Don't forget Bashir spelled with an I." I liked that a lot. I thought that was good. <laughs> he 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 expects his name to show up. He does. Yeah, he's going to be the hero. And then the moment when Rom finds him later always takes me by surprise in a good way. Thank you very much, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. It's called Arms, Clay. It's our season finale. What are you going to give this one on a scale of one to five? Uh, five. Okay. Um, I have to give it a five as well. I think I. It's probably one of the, it's probably the best season finale that the show has done. It's a vitally important episode that I think manages to uh, get its modern storytelling on track in a way that some of the other ones felt a little bit more cliffhangery, even if they weren't cliffhangers. And I really love the dark mirror aspect of this mm-hmm. at the end where the Cardassians are back uh the dominion are there federation is kind of on the run the alpha quadrant is in shambles because of these non-aggression packs and things like that and it sounds goofy when you say it but it's like a it's just it, it feels it feels game of thronesy in a way you know yeah, it's it's like yeah. it's it's not it's not as good as game of thrones was at doing it but it feels very reminiscent of the game of thrones which is just wrapping up and is obviously on, on my mind but it feels adult in that way um which is funny to say a show that has people wearing sort of like face makeup and giant ears and one guy's a shapeshifter and people have like earrings and stuff like that but it does feel um mature in a way that star trek sometimes doesn't you're saying that like the stuff that is in game of thrones is not as silly as the stuff that's in star trek (laughs) at least they (laughs) have you say it that way they have reasonably sized ears i think would be the difference there but we'll see whether or not uh, DS9 can finish off the war storyline in a way that uh, is better or worse than what Game of Thrones is doing currently. But we'll see. 
so fives from each of us. It's a good way to end the season. We'll be back with our, uh, we'll, we'll, I don't think we'll do a wrap up video. We might just jump right into the next season to keep things going. Uh, cause we talked about our season five thoughts in this one, but that's about it. If you want to support the show, you can go to all the social media links down below. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and get their Orville episodes. If you remember by June 5th, the $5 and up tier, you'll get some Orville episodes and no one else will get them. Just you. Uh, that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Um, I've got some news coming about the next comic project I'm going to be doing, but I can't really talk about it yet. So, uh, if you know, talk about cliffhanger, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter at dead meat comic, that'll be the first place that you can uh, get the information. It'll be the next couple of weeks. Some more stuff will be coming out, not to sound too cryptic and, uh, give myself a shameless plug. But if you're interested in that, that's where you can find it. That's you leaving the baseball in the office right yes. there. You're, you're going you're gonna to be back, and everyone knows it. So I'm, I'm going to hover over the desk like Wayun did at the end there and just stare at the baseball, <laughs> and uh, I think we'll call it a day there. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the season. Let us know your thoughts about the episode. Let us know your thoughts about season five in general. Where does it rank in the DS9 episodes? I'll give uh, a episode ranking type stuff. We'll do that breakdown at some point. I'll crunch the numbers and let you guys know where we stand. You can follow me on Twitter at Penske File if you want to get that kind of information because I don't think we'll do a wrap-up video. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe we need to buy some time for a week and we'll figure it out. Guys, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.